So we're going to read Genesis um, chapter 13. And we're going to start at verse 1. And just before I read it, just to remind you, last week we saw, well, Abraham, this, he's still called Abraham at this point. Abraham has received these great promises from God. He's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to give him people. He's going to give him a place to live in, and he's going to bless him. So Abraham has these great promises. But last week we saw Abraham have a bit of a flip out and fail to trust God properly. And rather than trust God's promises, he ran off to Egypt and he acted very wrongly in Egypt, and everything went pear-shaped until God stepped in. But we pick up the story in chapter 13 and verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he'd first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me and between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar, was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So here's the next chapter in the life of Abraham, the next installment of his experience of living this life in relationship with God. And it's got things to teach us because remember, we have a connection back to this story. Not just a connection of some distant history book. This is a story by which we're connected because we worship the same God, because Abraham points us to the same Christ, and because we belong to Abraham's family by faith. Which means that as we learn from Abraham, we're beginning to learn what it might mean for us to live in community with God. So here's one of the issues where I think this might help us today. 
Are you good at making decisions? I wonder if you'd say you're a good, decisive decision maker. Or are you someone who struggles to know what the right thing to do is? Are you someone who walks into Subway and is just freaked? Because the first thing they ask you to do is to decide what bread you want. And you think, oh, I've done that. And you have to go on and on. It's like relentless. Until the end, when you feel exhausted, I'm so tired by the time I've ordered a Subway, that I don't really want it. Because there's something about decision-making which we find really exhausting. Well, we're going to watch Abraham make a decision in this chapter, and I hope it's going to help you, help all of us. Abraham's going to teach us how to make decisions. We're going to learn from him. And in order to sort of get into this passage, in order to unpack this passage, I want us to use one phrase that Jesus spoke many hundreds of years later. One of the very famous things that Jesus said, which we're going to then apply to this and we'll then see how it works out in our lives. Jesus once was teaching a vast crowd and he said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Okay, hold on to that. You're going to see how all this connects together in a moment, I hope. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Remember, we've been saying there is a connection between Abraham, this figure, and Christ, Jesus. Because Abraham and Jesus are in the same family line. From the line of Abraham, his offspring, his seed, is Christ. And so Christ, who came hundreds of years after Abraham, speaks a phrase which is connected to Abraham because Abraham shows us what it looks like for the meek to inherit the earth. If you're not quite following, don't worry, it's going to all become clear in a second. Abraham is a model of meekness, of what it means to live by faith in God, which produces meekness. And we're going to just work through this passage. We're going to see four things about meekness. We're going to see some stuff that meekness is not because Abraham is contrasted with his nephew Lot. And we'll see some of that stuff as we go through. But I just want to work through the story and show you four things about meekness. And if you're not sure what meekness is, by the end, hopefully you'll know. One of our problems when we hear the word meekness is it sounds a lot like weakness, which sounds a lot like something we don't really want. (laughs) Meek. It's not really a word we use very much, is it? Have you ever described anyone, honestly, have you ever said to anyone, oh, I've got a friend, they're very meek. We never use that word, right? Because we're not quite sure what it means. I'm going to try and show you from the life of Abraham that meekness is beautiful because meekness comes from a deep trust in the reality of who God is. And I'm going to send us out, God willing, with this call to live lives, to make decisions governed by meekness rather than what we're going to see in Lot. So let's pick up the first thing. And the first thing I want you to see is where meekness starts. Where does meekness start for Abraham? How is it that Abraham is able to make a decision in chapter 13, which is good and right, as opposed to chapter 12, where he made such a bad decision? Well, meekness starts with worship. It starts with worship. 
So here is Abraham. He's messed up. He's stuffed up. He's made a right mess of things. He's put his wife in enormous danger. He's acted like an absolute bad thing. And he's been in Egypt. And you could say, well, is it all over? Well, no, look. You see, Abraham in Egypt, he now comes back. He returns from Egypt, we're told. And where does he go? He's become very wealthy. But look where he goes. Back to where he was before. He goes back to Bethel. He goes back to the place where he first called on the Lord. It's like Abraham had this kind of ah, wandering off in Egypt, making a mess of things, but he comes back. And here is where the beauty of a life of faith, a life of meekness comes from. It comes from knowing that our God is the God who has you back. That when you've been off to Egypt and when you've made a mess of things and when you failed to trust him and when you've put others in danger, when you've made bad decisions, when you have sinned against God, he is always ready for you to return back to the place where it started. Abraham comes back and he calls on the name of the Lord again. And this chapter, um, Genesis 13, is kind of top and tailed by worship. He calls on the name of the Lord in verse 4. And then at the very end of the chapter, what's he doing? He's doing it again. He's building an altar to the Lord. Because after this aberration in Egypt, Moses is now back in the place of worship. Back where he should be. Back with his eyes on God. Back seeing the glory and the magnificence of God. And seeing his dependence calling on him. I actually thought it was really, really helpful to be reminded that an appropriate posture for us when we're praying is to kneel. And I think it says something to us that we find it a bit odd. And perhaps some of us know, oh, this is a bit uncomfortable. But actually to kneel is to express something of a humility of worship that says, I'm a creature, you're the creator. I depend on you. I need you. See, we're not really used to living lives of worship. We're used to living lives of busyness and accumulation and success and going after our own ambitions. And worship is about stopping and about seeing God for who he truly is and seeing myself for who I am. So Abraham calls on the name of the Lord. I wonder if you think that, can you see that? That's beautiful. To be back there again. He's restored. It's not all over. And he's calling on the one who's made him promises. To call. Calling is not an impressive thing. Calling is not a strong thing. Calling is a thing that says, I need you, help me. Abraham's calling. And it may be that for some of us, that's where we need to start. We find ourselves in a place where you need to call on God. Call out to Him. You got to a place in your life where perhaps you feel stuck. Perhaps you feel like you've messed up. Perhaps you feel like there's no way back. And God says, call on me. Call out to me. And what you discover in the Bible is that when anyone calls on God, he always hears. His phone is never off the hook. He's never busy. Off the hook. What a phrase is that? Where did that come from? 
It's an old-fashioned phrase. His phone is never engaged. He's never too busy. He's never got his phone switched off. He's never, he's never too busy to hear you call on him. Call on the name of the Lord. It starts with worship. So meekness starts in worship. And now we're going to see how meekness acts. Let's watch as we go on. Because now we're told about Lot. Lot is a funny little character, isn't he? I love Lot in a sort of funny sort of way. Because you keep getting this little phrase, and Lot went with him. So I love it. So back in chapter 12, when, Ab- when Abraham first goes. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. This is um, chapter 12, verse 4. And Lot went with him. And, and Lot sort of is this ever-present um, person. And then in our, our passage... Abraham comes up out of Egypt with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. <laughs> it's like everywhere he goes, Abraham goes. It's like Mary's little lamb. And everywhere that Abraham went, Lot was sure to go. Because Lot is always sort of there. And Lot, because he's there with Abraham, he's sort of enjoying the blessings of Abraham because he's right there with Abraham. And he's becoming wealthier because Abraham is becoming wealthier. And Abraham, here he is, he's moving about, verse 5, with Abraham. But then there's a problem. Because a dispute arises, because there's not really enough space in the land for all of Abraham's herds and all of Lot's herds, and now there's a bit of conflict. And not only that, we're also told the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. They're still kind of in this land. So it's all getting a bit busy and a bit crowded. And now we're reaching a crisis point, right? There's a crisis because what are we going to do? Because there's now conflicts and quarreling. Well, what does meekness do? How does meekness act when there's conflict? How does meekness act when suddenly there is a threat to my livelihood? Well, I wonder what you would do in that moment. How would you resolve that situation? I guess if you're Abraham, you could just pull the card, right? I'm older. God's made plans, uh, promises to me. And to be honest, Lot, all I've been told about you is that you're with me. You, you just follow me around. So Lot, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to take what's right in mine. I'll decide who gets what. And I will take my share, and then you can have whatever is left. Do you see that that's that's what Abraham could do? But meekness doesn't do that. For some reason, meekness acts very differently. Instead, Abraham says to Lot in verse 8, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left, right? This is beautiful, right? Genuinely, here is meekness creating such beautiful harmony in relationship. Rather than saying, oi, sort out your herds. Let's tell you what, let's get one of those spray cans and let's mark some some lines on the ground and you can have your little patch there and don't let your sheep poo on my bit. You keep yours over there, and we'll keep mine over here, and we'll keep them separate from one another. Instead, Abraham says, hey, let's not argue. 
And Abraham makes this incredibly generous offer when he says, what do you want? Which bit of the land do you want? Do you not think that's risky? Do you not think it's risky to basically to basically mean that you get the leftovers? It's like when you offer a last two bits of cake and one is clearly a lot bigger than the other. You offer the plate to someone else, it's risky. It might be in your favor because they might feel guilty about taking the bit. I get that. There's a whole psychology thing going on. I do understand that. But it's still risky because you're putting the power in the other person. You're giving up your power at that moment. That's what Abraham does. Abraham acts with meekness. That is, he gives up the power. He has all the rights here. Lot has no rights. Lot can't make any demands. Lot can't come to Abraham and say, fine, I demand that you give me this bit. Because all Lot has is basically his because Abraham gave it to him. So the only hope that Lot's going to get anything is if Abraham is generous. And yet Abraham is so overwhelmingly generous. He says, I give up my rights. I give up my power. You choose. You decide. And I want to say to you, do you know what? In conflict, the power of what Abraham does here is extraordinary. How many conflicts have arisen? How many relationships have been destroyed? Because no one was willing to give up. I will not give up. I will not give up on what is rightfully mine. And people become so entrenched in their views and so stubborn in their refusal to give up that whole families have been divided, whole nations have been split because there was no willingness to be meek. And Abraham says, Lot, you choose. And suddenly all of the heat of this relationship and the quarreling between Abraham's herdmen and Lot's and the potential fight that there could have been. This could have been the first civil war, right? They could have fought and had a battle to see who won. But instead, Abraham, because of his meekness, says, you choose. And I want to suggest to you, I, I, I want to suggest that meekness is the means by which we are to love and to treat one another. So, Giving up of our rights in order that others might go ahead of us is the way that we're to treat one another. The letting go and taking the risk that potentially I might be, I might lose out by allowing someone else to go ahead of us. You may have heard me say this before, but if you want an experience of this, supermarket shopping is the way to do this. Get in a queue for a supermarket. See how stressed you get about which queue is going fastest. See how upset you get that you've chosen the slowest queue. It's so annoying. See someone trying to push in front of you and you just get so riled up and you elbow them out of the way and everything is getting heated and tense. And all it needs to diffuse the situation is for you to say, would you, like to go in, would you want to go in front of me? 
suddenly it's, you feel chilled because you've been kind and you've let them go ahead of you and things are healed. That's how Jesus acted. That's how Jesus has treated us. That is how God has treated us. That is how he calls us to treat one another with meekness. That's how Abraham treated Lot. Now, hear me say very clearly, that does not mean that there are times when it's wrong. That does not mean that there aren't times. There's a lot of negatives. There are times when it's right to call out things that are wrong. Absolutely. This does not mean that you let someone abuse you and walk all over you in a way which is wrong. But I'm talking about personal relationships where practicing meekness, and even in those situations where we are being taken advantage of, to watch our hearts and to pray for meekness, to pray that we would be people who are meek and gentle, and not out for our own interests, but willing to give away. Let's see the third thing, okay, because we're going to push slightly deeper into this. We've seen where meekness starts. It starts in worship. We've seen how meekness acts. It lets others go ahead. You say, well, how on earth would you do that? Well, because you see God. We're going to see why that all makes sense at the very end. The third thing is, what does meekness see? We've seen where it starts. We've seen how it acts. We're going to see what meekness sees. See, what happens next is we're told that Lot looks around and he sees something. And then we're going to see that Abraham looks around and he sees something. And they see something different. And getting your perspective on what you see right is what enables you to live a meek life. Let me show you what I mean. Have a look at verse 10. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Now, that sounds like something out of a travel agent guide, right? Why not journey to the plains? It's well watered by the land of the Lord. I mean, it sounds like something out of the travel agent. And what he sees, here's the key, what Lot sees is all that could be his. He sees all that could be his, that if he can just grab it, it could be his. He sees all the potential of this land that he's looking at. And it awakes within him a desire. He sees it. And what he sees, he desires. And what he desires, he then takes. He sees it. He desires it. So verse 11, he chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. That's what Lot is looking at. That is the attitude that wants to go through life grabbing as much as I can for myself, looking at all that could be mine. But there are hints, aren't there, in this passage that Lot is not making a wise choice. Chris, here are some hints. Egypt is mentioned. We've already had that. If it looks like Egypt, that's probably not going to be good. We've seen trouble there already, and we already know that Egypt's coming Back as a place of trouble. Then you get the little bit in brackets. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so this doesn't look like a place which is going to be particularly good for the future. He can't see that yet. And then we're told that that he sets out towards the east. East in the Bible is always away from God. 
To move east is to move away from God, because when God sent them out the garden in the first place, they went east. They went east. They went east. And whenever you hear people going east, it means they're going away from God. So here he is. He's choosing for himself something, but it's away from God. And then we're told that he's pitching his tents near people who are sinning greatly against the Lord. So all in all, Lot's choice doesn't seem like a very good choice. It seems to be driven by what he desires. It seems to be driven by his lust, by his ambition for what he can grab for himself. And that is the choice that Lot makes. That's what Lot sees. All that could be his. But the problem is that there is a pattern in the Bible of those who see something, desire it, and take it. That is a repeated pattern in the Bible. They see something that could be theirs. They desire it, and they take it. And it's a, it's a pattern that always leads to disaster. It's the pattern that the first man and woman saw the fruit that looked desirable, so they took it. They saw it, they took it. They saw it, they desired it, they took it. In the book of Joshua, there's a man called Achan who sees the treasure of Babylon, and he sees it, and he desires it, and he takes it. Then you read later of a king called David who sees a woman bathing, and he desires her, and he takes her. And over and over again, this pattern of making decisions based on what I see, what I desire, so what I take, all that could be mine, are decisions that take you away from God. But now contrast that to Abraham. What about meekness? What does meekness see? Lot sees all that could be his. What does Abraham see? Abraham sees all that would be his. You have to get this difference. Lot sees all that could be his. Abraham sees all that would be his. Look what God says to him in verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, look around. See, same word. Lot looked around. Now Abraham is being told, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Do you see the difference? Lot looks around and he can see stuff that makes his heart. He desires it and so he grabs it. Abraham looks around and he sees all that God has promised one day would be his and he chooses to trust God's promise rather than grab for himself. That is meekness. Meekness is saying, I trust you, Father. I trust your promises. Abraham is told that all of this land would be his. It's just he had to wait for it. And the trouble is that Abraham, in his lifetime, never got any of that land. He never lived in the land that he owned. But he still believed it. Because that's what it means to live by faith. To live by sight means saying, grabbing all that I can now. To live by faith means saying, trusting all that I will receive. 
in Christ. That's the difference between Lot and Abraham. And of course, Lot, um, sorry, Abraham is simply acting like his great, 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 great grandson Jesus would act because there was a time when Jesus was tempted and the devil came to him and said, look around, Jesus. Look at all the nations. Look at all the splendor. Look at all that could be yours, Jesus. Why don't you take it? Why don't you take it now, Jesus? Why don't, don't go to the cross and die. Just take this stuff now, Jesus. Take the glory. Take the honor. Take the fame. And you can imagine that Jesus, there was something of a temptation there, right? Jesus was tempted in that moment. Tempted to take now what could be his. But instead, Jesus chose to trust God's promise of all that would be his. You see, God the Father had already promised Jesus the seed of Abraham, that he was going to have a kingdom and that he was going to have a nation and he was going to have a land that would last forever and ever. See, one of the things that bothered me this week, have a think about this, and I raised maybe getting a bit sleepy. Have a think about this. In verse 15, it says, All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Forever. All the land that you see. Does that bother anyone here? Abraham's standing there in a little patch of Canaan, as it was then, soon to become Israel. And he says, look around. All of this I'll give to you forever. Really, forever? Is that still true? What happened to that promise? Is that land, what, what are we supposed to do with that promise? What are we supposed to do with that bit of land? That bit of land is still there. What do we do with that? That, that promise is still true. It must be true because God said it. And when God says, I will, he doesn't break it. So we've got to work out what that means. And this is what I think it means. Abraham was promised this little patch of the physical world. This patch that would be his and would belong to his descendants. Then here comes Jesus, the great descendant of Abraham. And in Jesus, the promise isn't finished. The promise is fulfilled and expanded and made bigger. And so that little patch, you think that little patch is good? Jesus is going to inherit the whole earth. Remember, remember where we started. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So is that little patch of Israel going to belong to Abraham's descendants forever and ever? Yes. Plus the whole earth. Everything. It's all going to be part of the new creation. You're going to inherit the earth. That's the promise that comes through Jesus. So Abraham has this promise of this land, this little bit of physical land. Jesus comes as the great king, the great seed of Abraham, who will die on a cross, who will rise again, and who one day will remake this whole earth. And now we anticipate and we look forward to the promised new creation that we will live in, which means as you walk around, you can look around from where you are to the north and to the south, to the east and the west, 
everything that you see, everything that you see belongs to Jesus. And one day he will give it to you. That's what he's promised. So we're in exactly the same position that Abraham was in. We have a promise. We're not there yet. We don't yet physically inherit the whole earth. But there is coming a day when Jesus will return and when these promises will be completely fulfilled and you will inherit the earth. You will have everything. Do you see it? So when you watch David Attenborough, when you watch David Attenborough and his green little plants and his life and his world, you look at everything and you see the stunning mountains and you go, yeah, that belongs to Jesus. And one day, that will be part of his new creation and I will enjoy it forever. We have such a small view of what God has promised us. God's great promise, I will. You will inherit the earth. The meek, those who abandon grabbing everything they can now and who worship Jesus, who come to Jesus to be forgiven, who belong to Jesus by faith, who are in that line of Abraham by faith, you will inherit the earth. God's not going to break his promise. And just like Abraham, we have to wait. Which means that as you go through life, you have a choice, right? You have a choice of how you live. You either live your life like Lot, seeing all that could be yours. I could do this, and I could have this. Oh, and I could have this. And I desire this, and I could have this. Or you go through life living for all that will be yours. This will be mine. I have it in Jesus. I can chill. I can be meek. And when others go ahead of me, that's okay because God has made me a promise. I'm not saying this is easy. In fact, I found this deeply challenging. I was chatting to Linda about this this week. I found this so challenging this week. How much do I depend on the I will of God? I think I still spend a lot of my life looking around trying to grab stuff. I want that. I see it, I want it, I take it. Or I see it, I want it, I try and take it, and then I'm gutted because I can't have it. And the promises of God will set us free from that. The promises of God will enable us to live lives of meekness where we say to others, no, you go ahead. You go ahead of me. And I know that there are some people in this church family for whom it costs a very great deal to be a Christian. Every day it's costing you. Every day you feel the cost. Because you have said no to something that you desire, but you said no because you trust the promises of God are better. I know that there are some of you in this church who every day are fighting that battle. And I want to honor you and to say, you are fighting a battle that's worth it. Because it's the battle that Abraham did. Because as Abraham walked around the disappointing, scrappy little bit bit of Canaan that he ended up with. Looking at Lot in the well-watered plains. You know, I think it was a part of Abraham that goes, was this a mistake? 
Some of us feel that, right? Every day we think, am I making a mistake? Have I given up too much? Jesus says to you, my precious child, you will inherit the earth. I love you. I have treasure for you. I have a future for you. I have a plan for you. And I have a promise for you. Do not give up. Wait. Wait on me. And I guess for some of us, we feel challenged because we're more like Lot. We see what we want and we grab it and we live for now and we make it all out like everything is about now and we live closer and closer to a world that is wicked and sinning against God and we get closer and closer and closer to it and then we begin to love this world and we don't love the future that God has promised us. We don't love the land that God has promised us. We love this land. We love this world. God is saying, do you trust my promise at all? Do you trust my promise? Trust me. It might be in the area of relationships. Talked about King David who saw a woman that he wanted. He desired her and he took her in a way which was completely wrong. Are there areas where we're doing that in sexual sin, where we are taking something and God says, no, not that, not now. I have a better plan for you. I have a better purpose for you. My precious child, you've got to trust me. And we say, I don't trust you. I want what could be mine now. And this afternoon, perhaps God has brought you to church because he says, no, I will bless you. I absolutely have a plan to bless you. You've got to trust me. I know it feels hard now. I know it feels costly now. I know that it feels like it's too pricey. But you've, this is the walk of faith. This is meekness, letting go and saying, God, I'm going to trust you and not grab. This doesn't mean we can't be ambitious in the workplace, but it does mean that we don't kill other people along the way to get what we want. We say to others, no, you go ahead. Because it's not all about now. And all of this matters. Make the because meekness is the road that Jesus walked. So where does meekness start? It starts in worship. You've got to be worshiping God. You'll never make these choices if your heart isn't in a place of worship. How does meekness act? It says, you go ahead, you go ahead. I'm willing to take that risk. What does meekness see? It sees all that will be ours. That's what sets you free to live for him. Why does meekness matter? Well, because it's the road Jesus walked. And it's the road to blessing. At the end of a sermon like this, it might be easy to think, oh man, I just feel rubbish. I felt pretty convicted all week this week. And the beautiful thing is, you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, would you forgive me for where I failed? And would you help me to see? Jesus really does love you. I say, if you're not a Christian here, right? Jesus really loves you. He came to earth. He died on a cross for you. He came because the life that you're living now is not the life that he's chosen for you. He has a better life for you, a life of blessing. There's a better life in Jesus. It might not be easier, but it's better. So whoever you are this afternoon, I wonder, would you come to Jesus again? Say, I trust you. I choose to trust you. Why don't we pray?
Heavenly Father, we we look at this story and we we see Abraham, this man who messed up, but then in this chapter, he really does trust you. He's willing to wait. He's willing to see his little nephew Lot go on ahead of him, get the better bit of land, seemingly have a more comfortable life, and Abraham's willing to wait on your promise. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be people who are willing to wait on you, willing to trust your promise, willing to seek first your kingdom, willing to put you first and let others go ahead, willing to make decisions that are costly because we know that you're worth it. Thank you that in Jesus we have one who forgives our sin completely and who sets us free to live this radical life of meekness. In Jesus' name.